0: Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way, I wanna jump over the pack, and here he comes! <laughs> For the lead of Stangle. G there good. G there sharp. That's Razzle good, yeah. Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald! Then oh, from inside the center square. Welcome, whatever time of day it may be, to episode number 112 of Americans Watching the Footy. I am Ethan Castle, coming to you from South San Francisco, California. I am Benjamin Castle, also coming to you from South San Francisco, California. And we're actually recording this before episode number 111, but we're going to push it after, so if there's, like, something we don't know about round 15 lists yet, that's why. If there's any sort of... Continuity error, though there probably shouldn't be, since I don't think we're going to be referring to much of that since this episode's about, you know, the teams that aren't playing this round. But I do want to assure you that your lives will not be left in the hands of an off brand video game controller. We're better than mad cats. If I'm putting my life in the hands of an off brand video game controller, it's the Beef Remote with Beef Motion Plus and a Bunjuck. I think I could trust a toadly remote with Lee Motion Plus. No, I only trust the beef remote. And if I, I wonder what sort of overlap there is between Americans watching the Footy listeners and poof Asher viewers, I feel like it's gotten decent, actually. Uh, I think it's it, I can see it being in the 10 percent range. Yeah, I mean, I feel like anyone that's in this, you know, that's a listener to anything I do probably enjoys shit posts and therefore probably enjoys poof. And if you haven't watched Poof go to YouTube and just watch Poof Asser. o f e s u r e. He plays video games and like, normally people getting really angry at video games isn't that funny, but he's funny. What footy team do you think Duty Dude supports? Queensland FC. I am here for this. I think Sakata's one of my favorite people that I've gotten to learn about and interact with a bit through the footy sphere. I am all in favor of his shit posting, actually giving himself some giving himself a career outside of his medical stuff. Really not the uh, combination of professions you would expect there, which I love. I think that's that's one of the great parts of it. I mean, there are a lot of great elements, but I think that that might be my favorite. I will make a whole lot of jokes about this Titanic thing between like, how stupid it is and then it's just a bunch of rich people that probably only did it because it's expensive. Like, if someone offered you this at $10,000 instead of 250000 I guarantee you these people would not have done it. And the only person that, that I would, like, actually trust with any, anything like this is James Cameron. That's like he's actually invested in not he's just going down there for- to find the bar. The bar has never been lower. This was like an entire South Park episode. Need to go back and watch that one, then. I mean, I think James Cameron's, like, really, really full of himself, but I think he would probably go down there and not die. I mean, I think he's been before. But yeah, it's being handled with a fucking off-brand video game controller. I think think it's an off-brand PS3 controller, right? I've heard PlayStation, I've heard Xbox. Regardless, it's, it's fucking hilarious. I would only do it with a beef remote. So, these are the round 15 progress reports, so... As a refresher, the six clubs on buys for round 15 are Carlton, Greater Western Sydney, North Melbourne, Port Adelaide, Richmond, and the Western Bulldogs. Shall we get started? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting mix of teams where maybe one of them has had a season that's kind of gone in line with expectations, and really none of the others have, and I think we're going to have a lot of hot takes and fun reflections on where these teams are versus where we would have guessed, you know, kind of some like, expectation versus reality stuff, so let's let's begin. Yeah, first up, well, they're in ninth again. The Richmond Tigers are in ninth again. And all things considered, they shouldn't be entirely mad about that. I've said, if they finish in ninth, as long as it's not, like, missing finals by giving up a goal after the siren or missing a shot after the siren or something, I will not be able to laugh at them considering how they've managed to turn their season around, that they've actually gotten better in the aftermath of Damian Hardwick's departure. Seems like he was correct in that, you know, they needed a different voice up top, and he started to realize that himself. They lost their first game under Andrew McWalter to Port Adelaide, but they've rattled off three wins since at the Giants, at Frio, and this past week against St. Kilda, where they managed to turn back the clock a little bit. Trent Cotchin has been really solid since he was moved back into the midfield, and he and Dustin Martin were at their best in the wet conditions. You know, my thing with Hardwick and with just about any coach, I think that even the best coach's voices become stale over time, save for a couple of timeless legends out there. I mean, we'll see, like, in the next few years, I think there'll be a real test of Bill Belichick, for example. In the footy world, we'll see how long Chris Scott has left. Yeah. Or if he just decides at some point, eh, I'm done. John Longmire, the same boat there. Yeah, but... Hardwick undoubtedly one of the best coaches of the 21st century but he knew all right my stuff's getting old it's time to shake things up and I think he kind of put the club ahead of himself although I'm sure he appreciated just being able to relax finally yeah and it was his first game back watching Richmond since he had stepped down this past week he was there obviously as part of the celebrations for cautions 300 an amazing group of people they had in one of the areas of the crowd just looking back at those shots he had. Dima there, he had Mick Malthouse and his wife there. Malthouse, a premiership player with Richmond. Uh, Kevin Bartlett, of course. I will admit, I have mixed up Mick Malthouse and Mick Malloy more than a few times, which I'm sure I'm not the only one who's made that mistake. I have a feeling it's a non-Australian problem. McWalter hasn't changed a ton. I guess maybe they've just been a little bit more direct in how they've attacked. I know he shifted Liam Baker around a bit. Yeah, Baker's been shifted around a couple times, had him, well really, you saw him steadier in the back to start off playing GWS and then to start against Frio and that got more involved further downfield as the game went on there. And I mentioned moving Cochin back to midfield when he spent the first nine, ten weeks as a half forward. It's tough when you have so many players that you are trying to fit into that group and maybe Jacob Hopper being out is part of why Cochin was able to slide back in so easily. Even with Hopper out, Tim Taranto has just been fantastic. like, We can accept that Tim Taranto is not a great kick for goal. Uh, I would would say that until you look at the stuff he's done the past few weeks. He hasn't been, you know, a consistent kick for goal over the course of his career. If he can tighten up in terms of accuracy, that would be a huge boost for Richmond because they're looking for a more consistent goal-kicking solution outside of Jack Revolt, who is on his last season or two himself. Obviously, you know, Tom Lynch is still out might be able to make it back before the end of the season, though that's looking more and more doubtful. My thing with Taranto, though, is that even if he you know, was an awful pick for goal, he'd still be a hell of a player. And it's at the point where unless that pick that they traded to GWS turns into a Hall of Famer, this has been a great trade for Richmond. He's been everything they could have asked for and then some. In past years, I didn't really think about him as much as an individual player. I think I kind of saw him as part of the unit at gws you know he always kind of grouped him and canelio together him canelio telly it's just been really cool to see him in a different setting and give me a chance to appreciate his game more yeah Tarano, by the way uh 13 goals on the season has kicked nine in the past five games including four in the loss to port it is pretty funny that after kane corns was talking shit about him he's played so well and made that Made those comments look so bad so quickly. I mean, it's either him or Butters that is leading the Brownlow race at this point. Yes, I think it's Butters, but he's definitely in the mix. And like I said, just my biggest point about him, unless that pick they trade away turns into like a Hall of Famer, they've gotten more than enough out of this train already. Tigers obviously opened the season with the draw against Carlton, had the win against Adelaide that was more of a letdown for the Crows at home. Then lost five in a row, and I think it was at that point with their continued fourth quarter struggles that we were really questioning the merits of their list as a whole and whether Hardwick was still viable. I'm not sure if you know, there was much discussion on his future at that point, but I mean, when you won as much as he has, you can kind of do whatever you want. And that's why I think the self-awareness he had there is really impressive. You know, looking at other than the win over the Eagles, in which they didn't play great, the Eagles also didn't play that poorly. Pretty much every win these guys have looks pretty impressive on the resume. Between, you mentioned the Crows, they got the win over a tired Geelong team, and then the past three weeks against a resurgent Giants squad, Rio a tough out at home always, and getting over St. Kilda after a poor start and keeping control in the rain. Their losses, frankly... Other than, I mean, they faced the Swans back when the Swans were healthy. That was during the Gather Round. They also had a loss to the Bulldogs, where I didn't think they played particularly well. Other than that and the loss to the Suns, where they just looked completely out of it. No wonder it was a marvel. I can't look too poorly on any of these defeats. I mean, the Collingwood game was ugly. The loss to the Ds, they definitely got outclassed. That loss to the Dogs, actually, I wanted to look back at real quick, because I, I believe they scored a couple late to make it look a lot more interesting than it was. Yeah, they did lead for most of the third quarter, and then the Dogs surged, went up by a couple goals, and then Richmond made them sweat a little bit late. Also, the Dogs kicked 3-6 in the final quarter, which kind of let them hi- hang around. That was another of those fourth quarters that they just fell apart. Obviously, they were bound to lose to the Bobbers eventually. To do it in that fashion, hurt. Why was Dylan Grimes not on the Oval? I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Maybe that was the moment Dima knew it was over. I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if he came into that week already thinking like, all right, this is probably going to be it for me to go out with a, you know, such a special game, kind of go out on his own terms. And for Nankervis to have been back in that as well. remembered he'd missed a few weeks like he, Dima had said it was important for him for Nankervis to be back in and he's been essential since his return. I mean, Samson Ryan didn't perform badly when he had more of that first ruck assignment, but he needs a bit more time to really work into, you know, a top level role for the longer term. I also think Ryan might be a guy whose value comes from other positions instead of just being a ruckman. I think his versatility really helps him, whereas Nankervis, you know what position he's going to line up at, and you know he's going to be damn good at it. If you were to do like a whole tier ranking thing, you know, the top tier, like I've said before, is... Max gone, Tame English, that next tier, Oscar McInerney, Sean Darcy. I'd put Dan Curvis in that mix, probably. I'd put Dan Curvis either in that tier or like a tiny step behind at, at worst. At worst, he's like between the A tier and B tier because the S tier, like I said, is, you know, gone in English. And yeah, Ryan's goal kicking accuracy is pretty strong. And he at times has been able to help alleviate some of the tall issues in Lynch's absence. So that hasn't been as steady as of late they have missed Tom Lynch a lot less than I would have thought because Lynch had been playing pretty well. Obviously, Dustin Martin's gotten more forward time in his absence. That's probably been one of the reasons things have worked. But like, just my general takeaway is between injuries and players finding roles and coaching transitions and everything else, this is a team that's been in a lot of flux and that they've been able to stay afloat to the point where finals are not out of the question. I have a lot of respect for that. I think as much as you may not like them, as much as you can hate losing to them, I think even the biggest critics would have to admit they've done a damn good job keeping things afloat this year. And they've done that despite being pretty banged up at times, too. You know, not just Lynch. You're looking at the other pieces they've missed. I thought that having Avon Soldo miss so much time would hurt them more. He could return after the bye, as could Noah Cumberland and Jacob Hopper from their cap injuries. And we'll see what the deal is with Marlon Pickett with the legal matters there. It's defensively where they where they've had the more damaging injuries at the start of the year. It was particularly noticeable once Robbie Tarrant went down with a hip injury. Still no clear timeline for him. there. not sure if he'll be playing this season. And Josh Gibkiss is yet to play either. He's still three to five weeks out with his hamstring issue. He had, I believe, an infection set back during the recovery. Well, that's a shame because I really enjoyed watching him last year. And here's another guy, you know, can put him in a few different spots. Givgis screened 22 under 22 for me going into this year. And him being out, put Noah Balta under the pump a bit more defensively. Balta struggled a bit, but this past month or so has been in much better form, coinciding with really the rest of the club. They've been successful in a different manner from what they were in their flag years, but we're seeing what makes Richmond such a strong club and why they've been able to, I'd say, despite, you know, a lot of very, very frustrating losses in the last couple years, go through what could have been a really difficult time very gracefully. They've been able to provide a sense of stability that I don't think most clubs could. Oh, this is great. Just saw this from uh, Swamp. He had posted this on Twitter just a few hours ago. Richmond would be atop the ladder if games ended at three-quarter time. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much of the playing better fourth quarters can be credited simply to different coach. I haven't seen all that much tactically in fourth quarters that's been that different. I think a lot of it's probably psychological. But I think so far, I mean, they've still got another nine games. But I think to this point, Andrew McWalter is making a pretty good case for having this job the whole time. As we did with every club when we were doing our home and away previews at the start of the year, We each picked a sleeper player to focus on and expect to have a more important role this year. Ethan, it was pretty clear who yours would be right away. Yeah, it's Hugo Ralph Smith who's been, I think he's kind of plateaued a bit from last year. Obviously, there's still a lot of room for him to grow considering that he's only 21. His speed has made him especially useful in a sub role. He's been a sub three times this year, including the last two games. He's played 11 games overall. I also mentioned Mate Colina, even though, unfortunately, he has not gotten a game at the AFL level. I'm just all in favor of college basketball players turning into AFL players. And if he does get a game at some point, you know that they'll love talking about the player having a basketball background. Oh yeah, Scott Pendlebury has a basketball background. Tom Fullerton's is a forward basketballer. My sleeper pick was Ben Miller. I expected that he'd have a bit more prominent role with Soldo out. Didn't expect the rise of Samson Ryan to relegate Miller a bit, but he still played eight games this year. Came back in for round 14 against the Saints for the first time in three weeks and surprisingly kicked a couple goals. He's kicked three goals this year. That matches what he did last year. His kicking has gotten more accurate. His marking in defense is in question. It's just Is he able to have a steadier impact on the offensive side? And what's his viability long term? when it's hard enough to fit him into the lineup in the first place. He's 23, was drafted all the way back in 2017, actually. And, uh ooh, he is from the West. He's from Kalgoorlie, so, uh I don't know. Food for thought. I think, you know, one of the things I've tried to ask myself with most teams is, like, what do they have to do for this, you know, the rest of this season for me to be impressed versus disappointed? And I think for Richmond, it's like, As long as they don't completely implode, and as long as more players don't have legal trouble, it would be hard to be disappointed. This transition period's gone a lot more smoothly than I've expected. It's a season that I think you gotta measure more in big picture stuff than in, you know, place on the ladder, wins and losses stuff. I think they'll come out of this okay, and I think they'll be right back in the mix for next year. All right, who's up next? As I spin, or press the button... Or push the button. World. The time has come to push the button. Ooh, Richmond lost to them last year. North? Yup. Thanks, JKART. Was that a, that might have also been a game that Jason Castania had something to do with? Or every they had a lot of games last year that Jason Castania kicked really poorly in. Yeah, kind of this thing, and oh yeah, he uh he's retired as well. That I, that came about, I think, right before. The season, Check in checking on what he did in that North game. No, he didn't play in that one. Which was the game where he kicked like five behinds then? He didn't get more than two in any game last year. Did he play against Frio? Uh No, he did not. But he had that kick smothered by Ballard against Gold Coast. That's the one I was thinking of. I knew it was, see, when they had so many of those losses, they all blended in. All right, as for North, two wins to start the season. 12 straight losses since, including a couple really tight ones. You had the Essendon game where they just got beaten a close, fun, fast-paced contest. And you had the uh the Sydney game. Yeah, the uh, interchange infringement game a couple weeks before that Bombers contest where Liam Shields was cramping and came to the bench, and that meant North went over the limit. It was a death sentence because the Swans were already in the 450. It was a gimme of a shot for Hayden McLean. Still, a lot of brightness out of this season for North. You knew it would be a couple years for them at least to get back to a spot where they could make a push for finals. And Brad Ratten has managed to keep this group playing hard. And even though he hasn't gotten a win yet, I can only find myself complimentary of the work that he's done as caretaker. I'm right there with you, which is funny. I didn't, I didn't know what to think of him as a coach. I never really could figure that one out. And... Considering that the Saints have been better without him, that doesn't reflect on him all that well. But I think he's done an awesome job just keeping them afloat. They have had some games where they've just gotten absolutely smashed, including against Brisbane in the... Gather round. They got beat up pretty thoroughly at Gold Coast. The D's really gave it to them. I was disappointed in that Gold Coast one because that was Todd Goldstein's 300th year, and they did not rise to the occasion for that. But they played... They've played tighter games as a whole in the past few rounds. Ratten's been the caretaker now for five of them. Can't look too poorly on the loss to the Bulldogs this past week. No, they they were competitive in that. Against GWS, they were there for a half. Collywood, they got down big and then got pretty competitive. And that's also been despite the midfield, which has been a strength of their game for the past few years now, not always being healthy. Luke Davies Uniac has been dealing with a hamstring injury. Jai Simkin had been dealing with a broken finger and then got concussed. Hugh Greenwood was out as well, but they have made up for into the aggregate, and Billy Scott was really important in that respect, and so was Greenwood. Unfortunately, as a fantasy player, his value really dropped now that Simkin's back, but if their midfield's been fine, I think Tom Powell's starting to establish himself as kind of that number two forward option behind Nick Larkey, and by the way, Larkey, who's tied for second at 39 in the Coleman race that's someone who is at the center of every opponent's game plan it's not like he has a great supporting cast everyone's focused on stopping him and he's still kicking a shitload of goals and he's accurate as well he has some of the highest accuracy when you're looking at, it at shot volume as well this year which is really impressive it's like like Todd Marshall from last year he had one like really uncharacteristically bad miss against the dogs or it might have been against Collingwood yeah it might have been but that it sticks out there's a testament to how good he is. Yeah, that speaks for his there. He's one of the premier forwards of the competition. He's getting the respect he deserves. I mean, you look at who's in the top 10 of the Coleman race. He's tied for second. Oscar Allen is eighth, And these are guys on the bottom two teams of the league. So with all the positives, you might be wondering, why have they only won two games? Well, their defense is non-existent other than maybe Ben McKay. And it depends on the week for McKay and what he's also had to do under his identity as Harry where he also hasn't been great at times. It is nice that he gets like a full bye week this week, though. Oh, yeah, just gets to completely rest. Maybe that'll really refresh him there. I hope it does. But Makai has been inconsistent. Griffin Logue hasn't been as prominent as we thought he might be. There's really nobody to defend an effective small forward as we saw Cody Waitman just stick it to him last week with six. And it could have easily been seven or eight. You know, Harry Sheasel has played as a defender, but he's more moving the ball out of the back. He's very skilled with the ball. He's just not a stopper defensively. He's he's a ball-moving defender or an offensive defender. And that's not a bad thing. Sheasel's been awesome. George Wardlaw already looks really good. Yeah, Wardlaw's impressed in the short time he's there. Big body already at his age. Glad he's got the rising star nomination as well. But just thinking about, you know, what the solution could be in the back, I mean, Sheezel's more of a mover. Jack Zeeble is somewhat of that as well. I have not been impressed with Zebel all that much this year, especially what he's had to be more of a stay-at-home defender, which has been more necessary at times. And, you know, Jack Monty's out for the year with Mahoney. Correct. With a shoulder injury, he suffered that in round nine out of Hobart against Port. So he hasn't been able to factor in there. They've had Todd Goldstein go back and support and defense a number of times, and he's a steady mark, but he's also on the slower side. You mentioned Zebel; He really hasn't done much as a tackler, for example. He had a... He had an octopus last year and a loss to the Saints this year he has averaged a little under two tackles a game that's one thing this team really other than maybe Wardlaw I don't really see anyone who's a big tackler like that's that's something that this team really really missed they could use like James Rowbottom, for example he would fit this Kangas team like a glove I mean Lemony, as Lemony Snick had explained sometimes not all gloves. So it's a stupid expression. Point is, he would just like, go- like, think about it. Would like silk gloves be good if you're doing gardening? No. Point is, a player like Robottom is exactly what North needs, and able to facilitate some of the best midfield work, and also be so willing to tackle. Shit, they don't even need Robottom to do anything other than tackling. They have enough ball moving midfielders. Fuck it, Sam Barry. Yeah, just. Someone who can get on people physically, maybe even like Harry Schoenberg, who just signed an extension for the record. I know you're happy about that. Yeah. But the reason this team gives up so many points. They're thin into the defensive 50 and they can't put up much resistance in the midfield. They're allowing over 100 points a game, just a tick under 103 per game, actually, which I believe is... Yeah, which is second worst in the competition by a pretty significant margin. Obviously, the Eagles are par worse there. For the record, let's see, the Eagles are allowing 119 per game. I don't think nobody else is allowing 100. Looking again at you know where the offense lies in this team and all the players that have been highlights for us this year for North, none of them are uh, those capable intercepting or tackling defenders, aside from Wardlaw when he's forced into that role a bit. Davies, Uniac, sink in. Greenwood can provide some of the pressure, but hasn't done so consistently. I maybe, I do maybe really like Hugh Greenwood. Oh, I do as well, and I think we've grown a lot more appreciation for him since he's come onto that North list of the past couple years. Maybe once Davies, Uniac, comes back, he can have more of that pressuring role. You know, one of the things that I like about Greenwood, because of his basketball background, ding he's 31, but he really doesn't have the wear and tear of a typical Thirty-one year old. He's played hundred fourteen career games. Didn't debut until twenty seventeen. So I would say he's probably got the body of someone at least a couple of years younger, if not more than that. So he could probably play at a high level far beyond most guys in his age bracket. It's like Brody Mayachak on the forward side for Collingwood, being you know later into the AFL and still being a really prominent player. One guy that I think could help North on the defensive end if he when he comes back, hopefully out of the bye is Josh Goder, who's been recovering from a knee injury. They've just needed something steadier in the back. And if Goder is able to provide a bit more support for Mackay and Logue, I think it could make some of the matchups a bit clearer for them. Look, Aaron Hall had I noticed him with one really good spoil. He is another mover. And I don't, I'm, I'm not like accusing him of being, you know, like a deliberate stat patter or something. It's just he's got a lot more value in fantasy than he does in actually helping a team win. That's probably not his intention. Just, they need defenders that that can actually stop guys. You know, if you told me they'd be 2-12 at this point, I wouldn't be shocked. If you had me guess which games their wins were, the Eagles would have been an easy guess. The other one, I probably would have guessed someone like Hawthorne or GWS, not not Frio. So it sucks that they've lost 12 straight now. And as long as I want them to win at least one or two more games, and I just really want to make sure that that doesn't happen in round 17 when they visit the Cats. That would be so fucking funny. I could see them beating, I don't know who else, other than like Hawthorne or West Coast. I they could sneak one out somewhere. They could sneak one out last round against the Suns and totally derail their season if it hasn't already been derailed. Maybe the Saints? I, I I'm... Glad we've gone this long without talking about their first meeting with the Saints because it was so fucking bad, but it needs to be mentioned because it was awful. A game that could have set footy back 30 years, if not longer. Longer because football was more high scoring in the 90s, I think. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, this sent us back to like dark ages VFL. It, it was bad. Like, yeah, I'm looking at scores right now from 1993. Yeah, the you know, scores back then were on the higher side compared to now. Yeah, much higher. Triple digits were much more common. Actually, North had a game where they put up 229 against the Swans. Wow. Is that a record? Actually, no. Geelong put up 233 once, right? Yeah. And I think that might be second all the time. Uh, Geelong put up 239 against the Lions in 1992. That would be the record then. Another player that I want to mention in the defensive conversation, someone who I hoped would have been more prominent there is my sleeper for this year, Flynn Perez who is a pretty versatile player listed as a defender, but can get some Vore time as well. He only played in rounds eight and nine. That round eight game was that awful one against the Saints where he was more prominent. Didn't notice him much against Port. Still got a long way to go. He is only 21. My sleeper is someone who actually has done a pretty nice job defensively. I think he's been one of the few guys that I've looked at as someone you'd want to factor into a, If you're looking at like, what does this team look like in three years? Of the guys towards the back, one of the few that you could actually do something with. I've been more impressed with his brother this year, but Miller Bergman has had some pretty quality games. Someone who will actually get in there and fight well in marking contests, spoil a few, has played in 10 games this year, subbed off against the Giants, subbed on against the Bulldogs, had a high of six marks against Frio in round two and Sydney in round 10. So when he's been going well, it's been a good sign for the rest of the club, you would say. Yeah, I'd say so. All right, we are going to do one more before we take our break. So let's spin the old spinner button. A spinner button it is, And it's time to talk about the Greater Western Sydney Giants and the return of the Orange Tsunami under Adam Kingsley. They've won three of four going into the bye, and they currently sit in 11th. Their percentage is not great. It's 97, but... They're right there. I'd be very surprised if this team was a finalist. I would be thrilled if they were. But they've already checked off like every hope I had for them this year. I think entering the year, everyone had them grouped in with, you know, Hawthorne, Northwest Coast. We also had the Saints down there. <laughs> uh. My thing about this team was I wanted to see them pick off a couple of good opponents because last year they didn't. They were the only team that didn't beat a finalist last year. And I wanted them to play exciting games. Pretty much every game they've played this year has been exciting. I mean, this past week's blowout win over Fremantle, less so. They controlled that from the beginning. An impressive 70-point win. But huge comeback to beat the Crows round one. The win over Hawthorne was phenomenal. That was the first in the Norwood games. Aaron Tatman's debut. Huge Harry Himmelberg moments on both ends of the Oval and the end of the game there. You had the... Sydney Derby, which, you know, they go up big, then they fall down four goals and make a ridiculous comeback to win. Yeah, they scored the last four to win that one by a single point, with Toby Green being the hero, despite being hobbled by an ankle injury. A hard-earned win over Geelong that, you know, my main takeaway from that game was how obnoxious Dwayne Russell was about Toby. That was his uh, 200th game, yes? Yeah, let's see, I mean... Lost to Collingwood, they got outclassed. The loss to Richmond was a great game. They lost to the West Coast Eagles. Yeah, that's what I thought their year was going to be more like. And I mean, it was a more complete Eagles team that won that game by 19, obviously. And the trip to Perth is always a tough one. They were competitive in their losses to the Bulldogs and Saints. Just I've enjoyed watching this team and not just because they play fast. Yes, faster is usually more compelling. If it's clean footy as well, there could still be pretty clean. And the older players are still important parts of the pace that they have. You know, obviously, Toby Green's on the older side at this point, being an early giant. And I'm surprised by the maturity that he's shown as a captain. Yeah, I think we all are. I thought it would be a little bit more like James Sicily, where, you know, fiery, sometimes too fiery for his own good, getting suspended twice. Like, if you had to make a bet at the start of the year as to how many suspensions Toby Green and James Sicily would combine for three, right? Probably. And so far they've combined for two and Sicily was both of them. And Toby's just like he's grown into the role really well from everything we've seen. And he's also played a bit further up the ground as well, into more some midfield spots, taking some center bounces on occasion. And I like that role for him. Other really positive signs for this team, Josh Kelly Absolutely dominated against the Dockers. Coming back from a hamstring injury, that had kept him out for three weeks. You get him a little more outside at times, outside of Canelio. And you have somebody like Tom Green winning the possession. you could free up Kelly and he could do his best work. Not exactly on the wings, but like just outside the corridor is when I notice his best work. And as for Green, I mean, his contested work speaks for itself. If you didn't have a fan club already, we'd probably start one. Brent Daniels hurt his hamstring but was really good orchestrating everything in the forward half, kind of like Luke Pedler does for the Crows. Daniels could be ready after the bye, and I love the work that he's done, kind of pairing up with Toby Bedford, with each of them taking a flank into half forward. I was so bummed out when Bedford was out for the start of the year because we'd seen what he'd been able to do with his speed and some of his better goal-kicking for the Ds. I'm glad he's in a spot now where he's able to be a prominent piece of the lineup and someone who will play week in and week out. While his odds of winning the flag are obviously lower than they would have been at Melbourne and I think he could have played himself into an everyday role at Melbourne, the style the Giants play fits Bedford so much better than the style the D's play. This has really worked out perfectly for him. Before this year, you know, I just thought of him as a guy who plays on the wing and now it's like this is a guy with game-changing speed. On a team where speed is the game plan, he is going to become one of their most important players if he isn't already. Defensively, this team has not been great, which has had something to do with injuries to Sam Taylor, Phil Davis, Nick Haynes, Isaac Cumming. He remains out with a calf injury. He could be ready out of the bye. We'll see about Davis and his calf, whether or not he'll be able to play in a week or two. Taylor came back last week and did a nice job on Jai Amos. You could tell that he was out. Hot take. I know a couple of years ago, we all fell in love with O'Lear O'Lear's game. I think Sam Taylor is just as good, if not better. Yeah, it's just that O'Lear, you know, did it with a new club that was in a top four spot. That's the difference. Taylor got the respect he deserved last year. Best and fairest, all Australian. You have him there steadily coming back, coming, coming back in. That's going to sound funny. Coming, coming, coming. Himmelberg spending more time in the back, which Kingsley says he's going to stick with. These defensive ranks should definitely look more complete over the final two months or so of the season. As I talked about during the round recap, I think Finn Callahan has kind of cemented himself as a 22 under 22 already. Callahan was the rising star nominee following a 26 disposal 10 mark performance in Sydney Derby 25. We'd already noticed the good work he'd done before that building off the start that he had in the five games of his debut season, but is averaging over 20 disposals at five marks a game. Don't think of him as necessarily being the fastest player in the group, but consistent and an effective kick between Callahan, 21 year old Lockie Ash and 20 year old Ryan Angwin, who was just the sub this past week. The future here is really bright. If they can keep this core together and keep guys from wanting to leave, to go back to Victoria or wherever else they're from, which I don't think it should be that hard to do. I mean, I would hope that Kingsley being there, having kind of a new playing group along with a new coach, I think that should go hand in hand and allow them to develop together. So I'm glad they made the change when they did. And they also have an additional first round pick next year. I think this trade could end up being a super duper win-win because like we said earlier, Richmond's already kind of won their end of it. All right. uh, Time to talk about our sleeper picks, I guess. Mine hasn't gotten the game at the AFL level yet, but I had to pick him because of milk. Jason Gilby. I think he was contested at one point. I know he likes going fishing based off of his Instagram. I hope he manages to get a game soon. That's really all I have to say about him. Has played seven VFL games, averaging around 18, 19 disposals. Hasn't found a scoreboard much yet. I mean, he's a defender, so that makes sense. You've seen him as a defender as a bit of a getting some center line time as well. The VFL Giants, by the way, are seven and four. My sleeper pick played two games this year and got lit up in both of them. Not that he played poorly, it's just Jacob Ware got clobbered in both of them. Earned the best young player recognition for the Giants last year, playing 10 games, averaging 12 disposals and around four marks. Started well, but just got hurt. Hopefully he should be back from his shoulder injury pretty soon. He could be ready out of the bye. Most of the guys who have been injured, I'm impressed with how the team's been able to pick up because they've missed some key guys for a lot of games. Missing Daniels for a bit, missing Kelly for a few. This is a team that I trust them to go, you know, 30 to 33, 34 guys deep on the list. Which you know, it's one of the reasons I'm excited about what the next couple of years are like for them. Oh yeah, Braden Bruce hasn't played this year, back injury. And I think they found a ruck solution. Kieran Briggs has been awesome. Matt played the first nine rounds. Then Briggs came in, and I think he's got a stranglehold on that spot now. Briggs also yet to turn 24, so could be doing this for a while. An academy product, just the second Western Sydney product drafted by the club back in the 2018 draft with pick 34. He looked really raw in his games the past couple years. I think Shane Mumford must have done some phenomenal work with him. This offseason, because not only is he getting a good amount of head outs and getting him to advantage, he's taking contest on the ground really well. I'm surprised at how solid he is below his knees being able to get tackles and clearances. When you're a slower player on a team that's about speed, you need to be able to win the ball and get it to the faster parts of the ground. And Briggs has been able to do that. Assuming guys stay healthy, we could have some really fun matchups for him in the next few weeks coming out of the bye going up to Alice Springs facing Max gone and Brody Grundy. A couple weeks after that, Riley O'Brien, Jared Witts, Tim English. That's going to be fun. He'll be tested, and he'll be better for it. I think we'll have a good perception of really where he is after that. I think we'll have a good perception of the whole club at the end of this year, if we don't already. I think it's a pretty positive one overall. And a reasonably difficult schedule to end the season. You got five teams that are currently in the eight. It's a year where we're learning a lot about the Giants, and I'm genuinely excited to tune into every single game they play. A reminder that you can follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Americans You can follow us personally. I am at BenjaminHK01. I am at Castle Media. Grian Harambe is on Instagram at Brian, And I think I'm hearing him coming downstairs, so he may want back in here soon. In fact, he's coming back in now. Three teams to go. Let's do the uh let's do the randomization thing again. The button wheel whatever. Yeah, well there's a wheel sound effect. Do I need to have a bell sound effect as well? I'm not sure what for. Well for the Bulldogs. Ooh. I was gonna say also just play the anime WoW sound again. The Bulldogs have had a very streaky season. They lost two in a row, then won seven and eight, then lost three in a row before beating North heading into the bye. They sit in seventh on the ladder at eight and six with a percentage just under 103. It's been interesting how their season's gone from really from round three up through, I'd say, round 10. I was pretty impressed with their defense and then were the next three rounds really disappointed. And even against North, things didn't go as poorly as I thought they could have, but losing Liam Jones for almost the entirety of the season. I think is pretty significant, even though teams had started to figure Jones out or more figure out how the dogs were utilizing him. The the thing with Liam Jones is they would really put him at the back. They put him pretty much in the goal square and take out that deepest target. And I mean, it was like center fullback rather than center halfback. So what teams started doing to counter that was just kick shorter and maybe you wouldn't get quite as many like surefire goals. You get more opportunities in general and get intercepted less frequently. You still get good quality shots. You can still look for shorter options after that. But the problems with their defensive performances have coincided with a number of injuries. Jones being just one of them, probably the most relevant. He broke his radius in two places when Paul Curse kicked it. Surprised, again, that there was no kicking in danger paid for that at all. Kicking in danger, another song recorded by the Barrickville Singers, by the way. But it's not just Jones. Ed Richards still was a couple weeks on the sideline with his hamstring injury that he suffered against Geelong. The game turned once he left that one. I mean, it may have started to turn already, but once he was out, you could really notice a change in how the Cats were attacking. Hayden Crozier's out, 8-10 to weeks with a hamstring injury. Tim O'Brien injured his in the second quarter last week. It's 6-8 to weeks for that. So their depth's going to be tested again. And it's going to require a much better stretch of defensive performances for Josh Bruce, I think, because I imagine he's going to be coming back in. Yeah, I would think with O'Brien out, you're looking at Josh Bruce, you're looking at Alex Keith. Keith was already in this past week and struggled with Larky. I mean, that's a hard matchup in the first place. Now, what have been positive about this team? You mentioned Joe Well, before he got hurt, I really liked how Jason Joe had been playing. I think Bailey Williams has been the most improved player on this team to the point where... I just have started grouping him every week with the guys that you expect to produce. You know, the Bontempelli, Liberatore, Treloar, Trellore, McRae, etc. Tim English. Even though McRae's gotten these perennial All-Australian honors, I still don't think he's talked about enough as to how consistent of a performer he actually is. He's never the first one to come to mind. He never grabs the headlines like Bontempelli and Liberatore do, but he's right there alongside him. You know, Caleb Daniel has been playing at half forward, and while he's done well there, I think they could really use him defensively as of late. You may have to consider returning him back there just because of how thin your stock is otherwise. Yeah. Until Johanneson and Or Richards are back, I would say that's probably necessary. I know you've talked about the idea of throwing Buku Kanis back in. I don't think he's gotten the game yet this year. I like the idea of it. Regardless of where you put him, as of late he's been more forward 50 and second ruck, So maybe that frees up Aaron Naughton to go back a bit. It feels weird saying, yeah, bring your leading goal kicker to the back, but he's capable as a center half back, and I don't want Tim English to always have to be back there. I think English is at his best when he gets to kind of play everywhere. I've said it a billion times this year, but healthy Tim English could easily boot Max Gollin off of the all-Australian spot. I think he is the all-Australian ruckus of the nap. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you know, gone not being as steady of a rock with Grundy in there and having injured his hamstring does contribute to that. A healthy Sam Darcy would also help. He's had all sorts of injuries. He had a hole in his lung. He's got a broken jaw. No clear timeline on him or on Toby McLean's back injury. Darcy could be another piece that would would have been really helpful to be able to throw into defense. I think with Hayden Crozier going down and he hadn't been playing very well a lot's going to fall on Taylor Duray, who hasn't brought it yet this year. If he steps up, this team could lock into the point where you've got the midfield, you've got enough good forwards that most weeks you're going to get enough contributions to score, and you'd have defenders then that can lock down the best of the best. Unfortunately, as it currently stands, you know I just see this team as two thirds of an oval. No, I just they just fit together kind of awkwardly. I mean, the forward mix has been getting more sound, but I'm still not sure if they know how to best use Rory Lobb, and maybe he's the one that they'll have to throw backwards again, because when they've done that and put him into the defensive 50, he stood up reasonably well. He's less natural of a, a defender than Naughton is. I kind of like just randomly throwing him back there for a few minutes at a time instead of for like a full game. Kind of have him back there at times, have Naughton in English with stints back there, kind of rotate them around. That seems like a more feasible solution and one to which Luke Beveridge would likely be more open because he's cut off at the source the idea of not returning to center half back. I think right now, as good as they look defensively for a while, I can't really buy in on this team in full unless they get their defense figured out. Which, if you had said that to me just like less than a month ago, I would have thought, oh no, defensively, they're fine. Up front, consistency is really the issue. I think they have more than enough good forwards. Just a matter of figuring out who's going to be that guy each game, whether it's Jamari Uglehagen, Cody Wakeman, one of the talls. one of the Well, I guess, I mean, Jamar is kind of a tall, but Jamar is on the tall side. I see him as playing elsewhere instead of just take mark and kick goal. I mean, his accuracy leaves a lot to be desired. Tom Hawkins was talking about the kind of stop-go form. That he had in his set shot routine, and if that's something he can fix, then he could be an elite forward because his hands are great. Unfortunately, Arthur Jones has cooled off a bit. I'd love to see him work his way back in at some point soon. Love that kid. I think he's going to be a star. They need something else on the small end other than Waitman. He's not going to give you six every week. He's probably going to stage and get you two or three. I'm looking for consistency there. Other than that, though, guys who have established themselves, uh, Oscar Baker's had a nice year. Yeah, coming in after having been a VFL presence mostly for Melbourne. his speed has helped get the ball out of midfield into the forward third. I thought that Treloar and Bailey Smith might have had more of an opportunity to have that role at the start of the year, but they've been able to stay more in the middle third because of Baker. I'm sorry, I'm looking at their roster right now, and there are just a bunch of photos of guys where it looks like their faces were shrunk. Jack McRae. Taylor Dre, Oscar Baker to a lesser extent. They look like they had their faces shrunk in these photos. They already been shrunk. Happy birthmas. Now, what about here's an option defensively? I don't know if they rush him into the AFL level yet, or I think he's been hurt at times. Fire away. But what about Jed Buslinger or Busslinger, however it's pronounced? Busslinger, I believe. I'm not sure if he'd be ready for that yet. Frankly, I'd rather throw him in there than some of the old guys that just haven't really gotten it done. I think I'd give Josh Bruce one more chance, and then I'd look at going with Kim. Fusslinger, 19 years old, 197 centimeters from East Perth, their first pick from this past draft at pick 13, averaging about six marks a game at the VFL level. So he's yet to really establish himself, I guess, but sooner or later, they will turn to him. And if you're looking at a solution at halfback and, and they are intent on keeping Daniel at half four. Maybe that's where Caleb Poulter gets his first shot at the AFL level in Doc's colors. He was elevated to the AFL list through the midseason draft. One thing that I've noticed about this team, it's funny after being such a visible player and such a high profile guy for all sorts of reasons. Last couple of years, Bailey Smith has just been like, he's been there, but hasn't he's been, been, been regarding. I mean, he's been a solid midfielder. He's Maybe it's because of the guys around him, but it's not like he's getting the ball 30-plus times a game. I think it's mostly because he hasn't needed to. Jeremy Howe could return this weekend. Hell yeah. This team has their share of really impressive wins, taking down the Lions, Tigers, winning at Frio by 49, at GWS that looks better and better, handling the Crows and Ballarat. Yeah, and they've also, you know, taken care of Hawthorne and North. And Carlton, when those teams struggled. The losses at the D's and against the Saints to open the year, they looked really bad in both. They got swept by Port Adelaide. The loss to Gold Coast up in Darwin, you know, they had a nice early lead and then the Suns really rose on that. And that was when the defensive struggles really started. And then the Cats really exposed them defensively the following week as well. I just, until I see otherwise, it's just they're the Bulldogs. They're going to be between like sixth and ninth or so on the ladder. And that's the way it's going to be. And they've got some real tests coming out of the bye, both home games. But Frio and Collingwood. Ooh, that Collingwood game. That should be. I'm thinking get what forty five thousand, maybe more. I could see that be. I could see that packing Marvel or a, a pretty good amount there. And then it's never easy to play at the SCG. That's where they are for round eighteen. That's a. That's the final Thursday night game of the year. I believe they played Thursday early last year as well. Definitely a Thursday or a Friday. The Bulldogs get so many Thursday and Friday games, it seems like. Oh, and then they have the Friday the next week against Essendon. So these next four weeks are crucial for the Dogs. And I mean, it doesn't get too easy after that with with the Giants and Tigers in Routes 20 and 21. A bit of an easier ending to the season. Hawthorne, West Coast and Geelong. The Hawthorne game down in Tasmania. That game against the Giants is out at Ballarat. I'm surprised they aren't going out to Ballarat for something like Frio. Yeah, they usually have a Western team out there, don't they? They pretty much always have a Western or Southern team out there. Yeah, they had the Crows out there, so they had the one. Uh, Sleeper picks for this year? Mine is Dom Bedendo, who has not had an AFL game. He had two last year, has not had one this year. He is returning from a groin injury soon, but I really haven't heard his name even close to selection. I guess the The guy neither of us picked that we probably, you know, if we had the foresight, uh, James O'Donnell. I know he's not at the forefront of selection right now, but that he's gotten the game at all is pretty amazing. I mean, he was signed during the season, so can't blame them for blame us for not thinking about it right away. Uh, My sleeper hasn't done a whole lot this year. It's one of their father son players, Riley West, gotten three games in minimal impact round two against the Saints, then scored one goal against Port and played last week as well. Hasn't been getting the ball as much as he did last year when he played 13 games. It was the unused sub for another. It was that game against Hawthorne around 15 last year where we really took notice of him. We haven't been fishing for as many, you no know, surprising depth performances this year because they've looked a deeper outfit as a whole in the forward two thirds of the ground. And again, Williams has just rounded them out. He's, he's added an extra dimension that wasn't there before. Williams already with a career high in goals with nine, averaging about 18 disposals a game. He and Baker have routed them out around half forward. So two clubs left. I guess you could say they had opposite seasons where one of them started hot and then went really cold and another started cold and then went really hot. We'll talk about the latter of those right now with ladder leading Port Adelaide, 12 and two on a club record 11 game win streak. And what's their percentage, Ethan? Is it? Oh, it's 119. 119. Yep and 3. 119.3. Uh, the number is inescapable. They pounded Brisbane to start the year, got trounced by Collingwood, had a disappointing and rare home showdown lost to the Crows, and at that point, there were a lot of questions about Ken Hinckley that I think were largely warranted. We had been asking a lot of those the year before, and they just haven't lost since then. A big part of that has been Jason Horn Francis really finding his niche within the midfield group. It's this—it's a new midfield trio with him, Connor Rosie, and Zach Butters. Yeah, and uh, Zach Butters elevating himself to Brownlow contender form. Out of the three of those, I would have expected it to have been Rosie after his All Australian campaign last year, and he's in that conversation for this year, at least for the forty-four man squad. But Butters has taken over the league. He's always attacked the ball really well and had Rosie running alongside him. Now there are more players that are able to connect with him off of clearances. They're one of the most dominant center clearance teams and they're the top corridor use team in the competition and all of that plays to butter strengths. And he's got good finishing ability too. And that young midfield group has also opened up different looks for their older guard in Ollie Wines and Travis Boak. Wines has still been one of their stronger contested players, but He's been able to move to half forward at times. Boak has looked rejuvenated as a wing. They've done all this with Tom Jonas not even getting selected, by the way. Ryan Burton hasn't been able to crack the six in recent weeks either. And we've had so many questions about their back six, and we still do. So for them to not be able to even fit those guys in, even with Tom Clurry out injured, he's got a back injury that still puts him two to four weeks out. The biggest reason is how good Dan Houston's been. I mean, Houston's a pretty different player from Clory, but I guess you could make that argument. They, I mean, that's been the biggest reason that they've been so good defensively and haven't needed to make changes. I mean, another solid year out of Alir has helped. He hasn't really bulked up, and he's been able to stand up to bigger players in con- and marking contests this year. That's an area where I thought Clory was going to be particularly useful. And then, yeah, in moving it out of the back, that's where Houston excels. We knew that he'd be capable of that. Kane Farrell's able to do that as well. Dylan Williams has been more prominent in terms of halfback play than Farrell this year as well, but Houston's kicking accuracy and his ability to accelerate up the ground makes him one of the most dynamic players in the competition, and he might be that guy for Port It's that if the ball gets into his hand, good things will happen. We like identifying those players as how we think of Nick Blakey for the Swans. We thought of Brad Close like that last year for Geelong. I think Houston might be that guy for Port. I think to a lesser extent, Willem Drew as well. That big run in the third quarter last week against the Cats, he was such a huge part of. Drew had been known prior to this year as a tagger and still does good tagging work. Very active tackler. He's had three octopuses this year. Ten tackles against Adelaide, West Coast, and Melbourne round 10. That was one of his most impressive games. And one of the team's most impressive being able to grind out that four-point win at home on Friday night and coming back to win that game plus 15 points of the fourth quarter. But he's also been getting the ball about as much as he did last year, and he's been more effective, more accurate with his disposals as well. So they've had their share of tight wins, good road win over the Saints, obviously the win over the Swans with Alir saving the day at the goal line. That's kind of the defining moment of their season at this point. The fact that it was Allier at the SCG as well, makes that moment all the more of a, you know, headline wow moment. And you called it. I'm not sure if you remember, but you called it. You called that we'd have a missed shot after the siren. Well, it wasn't a miss, but, you know, an after-the-siren shot that doesn't result in a win. And not like, you know, a really unrealistic long one. Yeah, not like uh, Dion Prestia against the Swans last year. What would you consider to be success versus disappointment, it's funny because, you know, I think they were a trendy pick to get back into the eight after last year, but I don't think most people would have expected them to be this good. At this point, I need to see him get over the hub and make a grand final. Ken Hinckley has coached mm. the most games in VFL AFL history without making a grand final. I'm not going to go as far as say they have to make a grand final within the next two years. If they have a home prelim, they better win it they will have a home prelim. If they have a road prelim, I wouldn't be so bothered if they lost. If they do anything less than make a prelim, or if they lose a home prelim, I'm disappointed. Having said that, Hankley will have his job. The board loves him, the president lo- the CEO loves him, the players love him, clearly. His relationship with Horn Francis is really solid. After the big, he after the performance he had in the rain, in the gather round. against the Bulldogs, the vision from that was great, the conversation they had. And it's something that Hor Francis certainly did not have at North. So if he can have that sort of relationship with players all over the age range on the list, then that's a really good sign that they're bought in. I'm still questioning if their back six is going to be able to hold up when push comes to shove in September, though. I think it can. What the other thing that's been so entertaining about this club is how their forward group has come together. You know, Mitch Georgiadis was a non-factor and then got hurt. Torres ACL and may not play for the power again, may look to go back home to the West. Todd Marshall's been good, but not amazing. He's had some weeks where he's just locked in, but I love the way Jeremy Finlayson has kind of helped the whole forward group come together. And it's funny because he's not the most accurate kick, typically. He's kicked 28-18 this year. There was that game against North where he kicked 3-5 and was really frustrating. Kicked 5-2 against Hawthorne. But he just opens up so much that in turn is there for Dixon, is there for Marshall, is there for Junior Rioli when he's been in the lineup, Ollie Lord when he was in over Dixon when Dixon was hurt, and and Dixon was a non-factor last week. Sam DeConan kept him goalless, and Finlayson and Marshall rose to the occasion. Remember, Marshall's been concussed a couple times this year as well, so the forward depth has been tested a bit, and Finlayson and Lord have been the two most impressive on the taller forward side for me. Also, want to note the work that Sam Powell Pepper does, especially on ground balls. How oh, on the, on the shorter side forwards. I mean, he's not super short, but he's, you know, not a, a key guy. Powell Pepper is, how tall is he? 6'2. For some reason, he plays shorter and he lays low to the ground. I think that's it. Yeah. You always see him scrapping for balls, you know, scrapping for loose balls and stuff. And if you looked at when Port played well last week and when he played well, you know, there was. Pretty much, they're the same picture. My sleeper has not played at the AFL level this year, and that initially surprised me. It's Purple, Sam Hayes. He played seven games last year, rounds five through 11. That was right after Scott Lysette had gotten injured, separated his shoulder, didn't play again. And at the time, we were really thinking Hayes would need to be the long-term solution, but then they decided for a while to go, Ruckless, and it worked. I didn't think that would be a feasible long-term. Sure enough, it was Lysette and then Bryn Tickle for a bit, and since he's come back, Scott Lysette has been one of the best Rucks of the league. I think that's one of the biggest surprises is Lysette's resurgence. He's 30 years old now, and after only playing four games last year, being subbed off round five, I thought that he was on his way out. But the last five weeks has taken on some difficult Ruck assignments and has won them every time. My pick was Francis Evans, and he still hasn't lost. He's 5-0 and this year. He's been used as a sub three times. Has only had two actual starts. In those two performances, let's see, he had a 14-disposal, two-goal outing, and a win over North. And he had six tackles and a win over the Ds. It's just, it's very simple. If a guy has never lost maybe you should keep playing him and like i get that right now it's tough for them to find a spot for him which is a great problem to have but i'd put him in over like josh sin or something what happens to him once he loses all bets are off then who cares like how it was with jake bowie yeah once once you lose you're not special all right one last kind of progress report capsule thingy for this round and this is going to be a fun one I, weren't they the last in our home and away preview as well? I think the Blues might have been last for that. I'm not sure, but... You it know, it might have been poured, actually, but, uh, yeah, this'll be a fun one. Cracks knuckles. So, Carlton are 5-8-1. and one. They're in 14th. They did win against the Suns to go into the bye, but they had lost 8-9 of nine before that, and the only win was against the Eagles. They played a great second quarter against the Suns, and we finally got a chance to see, like... What they're capable of. This is a team that, you know, the star power can really propel them. You had Patrick Cripps, Sam Walsh, Matthew Kennedy, Harry Mackay all playing well. Charlie Cornell didn't even have that big of a game. Mackay getting back into better goal-kicking form, kicking three straight, stuck with me as the most impactful thing, even though Cripps kicked three straight as well and played maybe the best game of the year. We had so much doubt about whether he had been playing hurt. We've talked about this team's defensive issues, which... I mean, they haven't had many consistent performances here outside of Jacob Weidering. Adam Sott has not been; as, he has not been as consistent. I mean, he's more of a ball mover than a guy that really, you know, is going to get in contests. I mean, I mean, he could take haggers. We've seen him be able to do that when he gets thrown back there. I like what I've seen at times out of Tom DeConing, although I liked his forward work more this past week. The guy who I was really pleasantly surprised by was Brody Kemp. I thought he and Jack Martin were the two biggest surprises in there when this past week Kemp on the defensive side, did a really nice job instead. Of, and that may be the sort of performance you need to kind of graduate from quad A status. Yeah, just his sixth game of the year, 12th of his career, but a 20 disposal game where he took a lot of intercepts and made smart decisions in his back six work when it looks like Lewis Young is on the outs and when Caleb Marchbank and others have remained injured, Kemp has been a rare bright spot there outside of Widerick. Now, I don't think finals are anywhere near anyone's radar for this team at this point, even though points-wise, they're not that far out of it. It's just, you look at the number of teams they'd have to overcome. I think what I want to see out of them the rest of the year, I mean, well, what I'd like to see is for them to lose. I think most of us would, but you, I'm surprised that you feel this strongly about Carl like this. I did not think that they will be the team to that you'd gravitate toward hating or wanting to see lose. I thought it was going to stick with the Swans still. I mean, I enjoy seeing the Swans lose. I enjoy seeing the Pies lose. I enjoy seeing the Tigers lose. But something about Carlton losing that's really entertaining. I would enjoy seeing Collingwood lose more if Mason weren't there. I wonder if Mason being there means that, you know, because we have a better opinion of Collingwood and because they've been so fun to watch, that we are more against Carlton as a result. That softens it a bit, but I still enjoy Collingwood losing. I really enjoy Carlton losing though, because it's like there's a different element to Carlton fans. This kind of stuck up, better than you nature. They're not all like this. Terry blew abroad. you are certainly not like that. But I, I can get the vibe. It's like the whole thing with you know the classic Toronto Maple Leafs fan, and we exactly, exactly. we've That's made we've made so many comparisons between the Blues and the Leafs. I'll mention them again here. The Blues haven't won a championship since 95. The Leafs haven't won one since 67. The Leafs ha- had spent a long time not even be able to get out of the first round of the playoffs. So I guess that's in like Also, the Leafs' mascot's name is Carlton because their old arena was on Carlton Street. That said, if they're going to build you know, something that makes me think there's some real substance for the future here, I think it's just figuring out more of a defensive hierarchy beyond weedering is going to need to be part of that for the longer term. Mitch McGovern seems to be on the way out, so that's another piece there that you're going to need to replace. Figure out what the deal is with, like, Alex Chinkata. Just figure out who's going to be a real part of this moving forward. Because right now, you know, the, it's been, like, here's your main core, and then here's just a whole bunch of interchangeable, not very good pieces. And we've got we've got to see more of a sense of who's going to be a factor moving ahead. And I'm going to put the blame again on the front office, the pieces that are are above Michael Voss in Brad Lloyd and Nick Austin, who have curated this list over the years and have not done a great job at it. Unfortunately, the Anaheim Angels, I still call them Anaheim because that's where they play, have been kind of good this year. But it can be kind of angels like where it's like you've got this amazing top talent. And then what? You've got Crips Walsh. Adam Chara has taken his game to another level this year. He has been Carlton's best week in and week out. He was awesome against the Suns, by the way. I always thought of him as more of an outside player. Can understand that from the halfback time he spent at Frio, but his inside work has gotten better, and it's taken him to all Australian caliber. Matt Kennedy belongs in the midfield. He played there and did following work this past week. Keep him there, please. It's It's simple. I liked Oliver Hollins. He's got a broken collarbone and he's going to be out about another month, maybe a little more than that. He could be another one of their back six solutions working toward the midfield. I like to see. I like the signs from Ollie Hollins and Lockie Cowan, their round one debutants. I mean, but it's like for every one of these that we've had, that's been a nice piece. You've had things like Corey Durden, who was just awful and is now hurt. They had such a need for a better small forward option. And, you know, Durden isn't, you know, completely small, but he's obviously not the tall target that the two Coleman medalists are. I thought he was going to improve his game a lot this year. He has not. I thought Jesse Motlop was going to continue his progression. He's had a sophomore slump. I still believe in Motlop long term. I think I, I do, too. There's something about his game when he gets involved. It's just like. There isn't really anything statistically to describe it, but he's got something that happens when he's got the ball that gets you excited. It's a real Jimmy rustler. If Jack Martin's able to play full games soon, came back these past couple weeks, did good things, but had to be subbed out each time for Patty Dow. If Martin's able to play full games, then I think that's going to be the solution. Also, not playing Ed Kurnow seems to be a step in the right direction. I, I hate to rip on a player so much, and a lot of times when we've done that, a guy's really turned it around and played well, whether that's Trent Rivers, Ben Miller, but Ed Kurnow just hasn't been it, and I don't know why they kept playing him or throwing him in as the sub. He was the tagger that couldn't tackle. There's just so much structurally that doesn't make sense, and then you combine that with like a guy like Will Setterfield leaving and instantly becoming a better player, and you wonder like how deep are the issues here. That's why I say it's beyond the coaching and the simple solution for getting Ed Kerno out of the lineup, giving Matt Kennedy a more prominent role. It's not rocket science. I mean, those are two things that should have happened independently of each other. Kennedy was your sleeper this year, right? Yeah. And I think this past week really showed what he can do. I mean, I'd understood Kennedy's role already. I think it's just that he has always been behind Cripps, Walsh, now Chera already an eighth-year player, but just his 90th game, has dealt with a number of injuries over the years, was brought on as a sub twice against the Eagles and the Lions, has averaged just under 21 disposals in the 10 games where he's been in the 22, and he really rounds out their midfield, can help with some of the pressure as well, good for a few tackles a game, and they tend to be pretty impactful. My sleeper is someone who's currently injured. Hello, Newman. Nick Newman says, hello, Jerry. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. He's between one and three weeks out. I thought that once Zach Williams went down in the preseason and was ruled out for the year, Newman was going to need to be a more important player at halfback, has had a couple really good games. I noticed his work early on this year in the wins against Geelong and GWS, better against the Dogs and this past week against the Suns before he got hurt. So he's another one of those players where it took a while for him to make his AFL debut Debuted in 2017, 30 years old now, so maybe he has a little bit longer in the tank like someone like Hugh Greenwood, for example. I think he's still able to produce for a few more years, and hopefully he can be a mentor to some of those younger guys like Chinkata, Cowan, and Hollins. I am really entertained by Carlton's fixture to end this season. Even jumping back in against Hawthorne is going to be really fun with all the positivity that we have around the Hawks and how they've played... Going into their bye, Now, that could be the game where just nobody kicks a goal. They just set the record for behinds. Nah, Mitch Lewis will play. After that, they head out to Frio. I believe that's their only meeting with the Dockers this year. Let's see. From there, hosting Port and the Eagles. Rematch with Collingwood. Saints and D's, And then at Gold Coast and hosting GWS. A lot of entertaining matchups. And largely in Victoria. Just two trips outside their home state for the rest of the year. I don't think they have the shot at finals, but I will say this. There are some teams that if they take down, they'll certainly have earned their way there. I'm glad we've done these progress reports again. Too often, the only coverage you see for clubs that are on their buys are if they have players fronting the tribunal, the tribunal still deliberating. And so is the appeals board. Oh yeah, I should, re- should mention, Matt Cottrell got one week and accepted that for dangerous tackle on been long. You can't bring someone down by their head or neck, even if they lower it. I'm surprised the Carlton lawyers didn't get to show off their stuff again because they're that's this team's biggest strength. We talk about their on-field strengths, but I think their legal team might be the most important part of their club. Honestly, I know they've been called the baggers for a long time, but it would be funny if the lawyers became like the club nickname. With their more middle and upper class background, I would totally dig it. But point is, you know, I hope that we've given these six teams and all the clubs while they've been on their buys the the coverage that they deserved, especially Carlton, a club that never gets talked about in the media. So as this will be the 112th episode, this will be out after the round preview. The next time we'll be coming to you will be the round 15 recap, by which point I'll be in New York. And will you actually be in New York? Yes. Concrete jungle, wet dream, tomato. What borough are you staying in? Uh, first couple days, Bronx, it'll be Manhattan when we're recording. Good stuff. I'm sure that Ethan will post some good travel photos on his Twitter account at Castle Media. I am at BenjaminHK01 on Twitter. Brian Verande is on Instagram. He is also sleeping right next to me. Together, we are on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. Well, you better get packed and get to New York in a timely manner so that you can potentially meet the king of New York, World of T-Shirts.